Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have a question for you. How are you with security around your development? And are you aware that DevSecOps and SecDevOps are totally different things? I'm new to that, by the way. I had no idea. And how are those different from vulnerability management? We're going to talk about all of that and more. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I'm thrilled to be delighted by my special guest today, Brittany Greenfield. Brittany, how are you doing? Great. How about yourself, Matt? Thanks for having me. I'm doing awesome. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on the show. So let me tell everybody about you, Brittany. She is the CEO and founder of Wabi, which is delivering AppSec infrastructure to enterprise DevOps teams everywhere. They're doing a great job with all of what they're doing. I can't wait to dive into that. And Wabi's Sec DevOps infrastructure platform integrates with development workflows to provide continuity of information, making security scalable across DevOps pipelines. So teams no longer have to decide between security and agility. Really, really slick stuff. She's also the member of the Board of Trustees at Mass Technology Leadership Council. She's got a lot going on, and I'm so excited that she's here with us. So once again, thanks for coming on the show, Brittany. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So please tell me what's going on lately and what's coming up for you. Oh, man. 2021 has been off to a racing start. You know, 2020, like for everybody else, was a bit of a game of whack-a-mole. And let's just (laughs) focus on long-term growth rather than what's going on in the short term. And so as a result, we kicked things off really quickly this year. Uh, We got to announce that we were awarded a phase one SBIR by the U.S. Air Force for a concept called continuous ATO, which is really a word for quality gates and and checklists. Um, We added a new head of sales. And then in Q2, we're going to start expanding our customer team um, and really starting to dive into some of our deeper um, AI functionality around advanced playbooks and workflows that really help optimize the application security process within the development workflow. That's amazing. I love that you have all that process lined out. It's super important in business to have process. I talk about it from the sales side. Sounds like you've yeah. got everything dialed in. It, um, you know, oh, it's, as you know, talking to startups, having everything dialed in changes day to day. But <laughs> sure. um, process is so important. You know, we always are taught in everything we do. It starts with people, process, and then tools. And we're really focused on how we support the process automation so people can do their jobs better. I love it. Love it. So what gave you the idea to start Wabi? Where did that come from? Yeah, so I'm actually an, admittedly a, a career um, outsider to cybersecurity for most of my career. Um, I built my career around identifying new market opportunities and building the teams and strategies to execute them. So I guess you could say I was building startups for larger organizations And I got into cyber when I was at Cisco and really realized that it's just a fundamental underpinning of how we build our, not just software today, our economy today. And as I got further into the industry, I realized enterprises were essentially installing like the equivalent of an ADT system, but not making sure they're front door locked. And that's where application security as part of development comes into play, right? Does my front door lock? Is it even the right kind of lock? And I started noodling on this. And then realized that there was a problem. And then the Equifax breach happened. And as you know, Mm. it's not enough to have a good idea. You have to have a good idea at the right time. And that's where Wabi was born. That's really cool. So who is the product best for, would you say? Really, it's anybody that sees software as a competitive advantage. It's why we have been able to to be successful both in the commercial and the federal markets, You know, especially with the DOD, that they understand that 
good software delivery to market, rapid software delivery, gives them that edge over their market. And they understand that security is part of the bottlenecks that they're trying to remove by undergoing digital transformations and DevOps transformations. They really can't complete those transformations until they've eliminated that security bottleneck. So we deal with everybody from mid-market through Fortune 500. And as I mentioned before, you know, a lot of federal groups as well. So really anybody in that space should be thinking about all this stuff. Everybody should be thinking about it. You know, our sweet spot happens to deal with a little bit of scale in the organization. I call it the over the wall problem. Um, you know, somebody that that can't just shout over the wall and go, hey, Matt, can I ship this code? Is it secure? That's when they start to need us. But everybody should be thinking about it, even if they're just doing it in a Excel spreadsheet. That's just the beginning of the journey, we believe. And I know you'll you'll hit on it later. We believe that Sec DevOps is really a maturity of processes, um, and you've got to start somewhere. So even if you are a five-person team, you need to be thinking about how security plays a role in your software definition and overall development lifecycle. Oh, I think it's critical. You should yep. absolutely be focused on how security is taken care of, what you're protecting, how you're protecting it, all of it. Exactly. You know, it, it's had such a backseat for so long, and I think it was because people assumed it to be oh, you've got to be a hacker with a hoodie and, you know, there's white hat and black hat. And people now realize the same epiphany I had that led me to found lobbies that that it's just a fundamental piece of how we're built now. And, you know, it's become dinner table conversation, which has helped support those strategic security initiatives versus that previous perception that security was just about compliance, which compliance to us is a bit of a dirty word. It has to happen. But if you're only doing security for compliance, then you're just ticking the, you're hitting the low bar. Very true. So talk to me, what is the difference between DevSecOps and SecDevOps? I would have thought that they were just interchangeable, but you tell me. So, um, and your viewers are welcome to go beat me outside. Hey, uh, beat me <laughs> outside later. There is a philosophical debate. You know, the DevSecOps market really did take off as a function of the DevOps market taking off. How can we put security in the middle of it? So there's been a lot of noise around it, a lot of buzzwords shift left, uh, security at speed, security by design. And those are all true things. But if you focus just on suddenly sticking security in the middle with tooling, as one of our customers said recently, it's like saying, okay, let's shift security left into development. That's like saying, let's shift our spaghetti bowls on the dinner table without having a process by which we shift them left. You're going to end up with spaghetti on the floor. And that's where DevOps comes in. It's really about the process automation that it's supported by the tools. You know, I said before, right, we always talk about people, process, and then tools. DevSecOps puts a heavy focus on the tools, which are an important part of this. We really see SecDevOps really as being secure DevOps and an extension of the DevOps transformation. And that's where we see the difference. Okay, beautiful. And then how does vulnerability management play into all that? It's, you know, it's, it's a function of the tooling problem, as we like to call it. It's the low-hanging fruit. And as more and more organizations added those DevSecOps and additional application security tools in the last five years, they then were overwhelmed with all of this data and no way to manage it. Um, and that's where vulnerability management really picked up steam. But it's just one piece of the puzzle, right? And it doesn't matter if you're uh, managing your grocery list on your phone or on um, a piece of paper, right? And that's what vulnerability management is doing. But we need to actually integrate it into the full process because otherwise we're just shifting the bottleneck to another place. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So 
If I'm a small business or a medium-sized business, we're growing, what should we be thinking about when it comes to application security? What steps can we take to start getting right? So the first thing is that you actually don't need tools to have good application security. I know I'm sounding like a broken record, but it's about the process. I think small and medium-sized businesses think that it's out of reach for them because great security tools are expensive. But if you just focus on that process and making what you're going to do from an application security perspective transparent up front, then you can start getting control over that security. And then over time, you'll be able to supplement with tools. Think about the, you know, I'd say the top three things is think about the standard attributes your projects have. Not all projects and applications have the same security requirements. So can you bucket them somehow to say, Even if it's as simple as this is a type A and a type B project, and here are the different policies that I'm going to do. The second is how can you actually make sure security and development are teammates? Security, unfortunately, because of sort of this legacy data and and running waterfall security in agile environments became like the Grim Reaper. Oh, my God, security's here. Who did something wrong? The reality is security is a strategic asset. Any DevOps team that's gone through a DevOps transformation knows it's about de-siloing information and roles and responsibilities, and it really is a share, shared model. And then the third component is how can you track that, right, and get visibility? Again, it's not about big brother. It's about understanding that you're accepting risk when you've accepted it and um, what you're going to do to mitigate it. Or maybe you've just said, it's okay, we're just going to accept this risk because we don't think that that's going to be a concern for us. My hope for any organization of whatever size is that they do have this kind of process in place, whether it's manual or fully automated. And when they have a breach, they can go, we actually did everything we thought was right. And we knew when we accepted risk and we can, all we can do is learn from this and move on versus, oh my God, what went wrong? You know, the sky is falling. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I love that. You got to figure out, you know, do a postmortem, figure out what happened and move on. I think that's super, super smart. And that's what application security is about and how you continually evolve it. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. That makes sense. So let's say that you've, you get it and then your team, how do you scale? What, you know, how do you make application security scalable? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to that people process tools. So if you start with the people with those sort of manual efforts, You do actually need, and obviously this is where I get to put a plug in for Wabi, (laughs) you need some kind of platform to scale it because otherwise you're going to be counterproductive Mm -hmm. in asking people to take on more roles. You can't scale it. Well, while people talk about having security evangelists or, you know, really robust processes, if they're manual, you're going to have your resources be focused on process management rather than doing the strategic things that you hired them for. So that's where you do need orchestration and automation as part of your DevOps, uh, as your DevOps platform. I mean, you just spent a lot of money to do whatever your DevOps transformation is. You need to treat security the same way. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, let's talk about Wabi. I mean, you've been really successful in growing this business, Brittany. So what would you say were some of the key things that you did along the way to help you out? Yeah, I'd say one of the first things that really helped our success and put us in the right position to grow rapidly was I actually didn't build a product at the beginning. Uh, you know, I'm a technical person, but learned early in my career that I should stay away from coding. I lack that. And so we used prototyping, right? Good old fashioned. And, you know, the closer you are to the product, like when you've invested engineering dollars in it, the harder it becomes to move away from it. So we started with Excel spreadsheets and whiteboards 
and you know interactive wireframes. So when I got to my um, initial roadshow six months in and took it from the AppSec managers to CISOs and asked them if they would buy it, and they all said no, right? I didn't feel like I had to go prove it. Instead, I could say, why won't you buy it? And they said, look, you've missed the whole point of security. It's about uh, what makes application security special. It's about the process. Build me a platform where I can set the rules, hand it over to development, and then tell me when something goes wrong and I'll support development and buying it. And that was the real watershed moment that allowed us to go develop the right roadmap that allowed us to be a bit ahead of the market in understanding that application security was is a shared responsibility uh, that needs to be led by development. I'd say that was our biggest, you know, th- I think that's the biggest misconception that you have to be a coder and you have to go write some product and toss it out into the world. And we did it right. I said, I'm going to do the exact same thing I've done at all the other large enterprises and not be committed to this so we can find the right roadmap and find that product market fit before we begin our investment in our heavy architecture that makes us enterprise grade. It's just beautiful. And this is something I preach all the time to my clients is go out and talk with your market because what you're thinking of might be completely different from what they need. So you need to have those conversations. You need to understand what they're looking for, what they're what their desires are, what their goals are. And really, you can iterate to that. And that's beautiful that you did that. Exactly. I mean, our, that first roadmap would have put us today where our competition is or as a vulnerability management tool, you know, and that just wouldn't actually be solving the problem. It would have been solving mm-hmm. the pain at the time. I'm sure you talk with your clients a lot about, you know, the difference between a vitamin and a cure, right? Great. A vitamin's going to, you know, some things going to make the cold go away, but a vaccine is going to make sure you don't get it back and you can keep going out and into the world and work the vaccine for how to do security inside of uh, development pipelines. Oh, that's beautiful. So that's cool. So you did everything right from the start and then you built and built. So tell me about how you won the Air Force. That's a pretty sweet contract there. So how did that go about? We identified it really early on as having very similar customer profiles. And for those that aren't familiar, the SBIR program is a great way to get into target customers in federal space um, for early stage companies, right? It's, it's a different contracting vehicle, but it allows, so you don't have to do FedRAMP in advance and a lot of those hoops. Right. And so we began with a lot of, like no different than our commercial research side, a lot of customer discussions and identifying where the the pain was and what their goals were. And what one of the cool things that the DOD has done, I'm sure everybody's heard about Platform One, you know, unifying all of their commercial technologies for self-service. Well, the way that plays out is in software factories. Each group has their own set of software factories that compete with each other. So again, it looks a lot like commercial. And we were able to say, hey, look, our platform actually natively solves the problem that you guys are having, which is what's called continuous ATO. You may hear it called permit to operate. ATO stands for authority to operate, permit to operate in larger commercial enterprises. Or as I mentioned before, you know, it's just a good old fashioned quality checklist. Does this meet my current security standards? And so I can ship it. Quite frankly, it's no different than like building a house, right? You have different standards if it's a house versus a commercial building, if it's a high rise versus a mid rise, depending on the tenants. And we do that in our how we build structures. Why don't we do that in how we build software? I mean, it's super smart. I love it. But that had to be a pretty big time for celebration, winning contracts oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> it was. It's one of the, I think, especially kicking off 2021 with that. Um, yeah. you know, it was a great way. We got to announce it. We actually had to postpone our all hands meeting for a week because I'm a little, you know, superstitious. I didn't have the contract in hand and signed. 
Um, and so got to kick off our, our first all hands of the year with that news. Everybody got excited. And, and as you probably know as well, Space Force is part of Air Force now, too. So we got to have some jokes, you know, to infinity and beyond and everything. Oh, I love it. It was just, you know, we made it through the, uh, gosh, what's the song? Uh, you know, we made it through the woods of 2020. And here's the other yep. side. I will spare you me, me breaking into song. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, a good one for another time, for sure. Yeah. Um, I love that you didn't do anything until you had the contract. I've always told people, I was all, always told my sales team, do not celebrate until you have ink on paper. As yeah, I said, obviously, we don't, we don't always use ink on paper anymore. But Nonetheless, don't celebrate till it's signed, done deal, money yeah. in the door. So that's super cool. Good work. Yes. Well, thank you. It's, you know, it was one of the things we did last year as well. You know, we became post-revenue in the middle of a pandemic. And so we had the contract in, everything was signed. You know, how do you celebrate when you're all virtual, right? This is a big moment of the big customer. And I actually sent out little bells to everybody. And I said, you can't cool. open this until... I put us, I schedule this meeting because I need to make sure everything's dried on the contract. Um, nice. and so I said, okay, now you can open up your Amazon package and ring the bell. And let's explain what the ringing the bell tradition is for those that don't know. But yeah, it's you and I are on the same page. Let's make sure it's actually real and then we can go celebrate. That's very cool. So I send bells to all my clients and okay. they're instructed to ring the bell when they close a big deal or any deal. And uh, that's kind of our thing within our founder. We have a software founders group just for software founders to kind of collaborate and talk with each other, mastermind type thing. And uh, they always talk about ringing the bell. So that's very cool. You have that as well. Yeah. It's, you know, I think there's some of those traditions came, you know, it's certainly not a modern era tradition and you go, you know, these are the little things I want to protect about, you know, as I'm building a new company, you know, there's some great old traditions that should persist too. And the ring the bell, we're not going to do it every time, but for the first one, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some early mistakes that you've known about uh, that you, you know, tried things you did that now you wish you'd avoid? You know, I'd say there are actually sort of two sides. One was from the, the business side and one's actually from the personal side. On the business side, I was very gun shy about talking about how we were solving the problem. Mm -hmm. um, right? it, it felt a little proprietary. You know, I didn't want to go out and, and talk about the problem and then not have a platform yet because it takes time if you're not just doing a point solution to develop the full end to end. But we've been doing some great work with our customers. We had a lot of great intellectual, well, true intellectual property, right, to put out their thought leadership. And um, we really didn't do marketing. And finally, somebody gave me good advice. Another founder said, look, there's a way to authentically talk about the problem you're solving and that there is a solution out there and that you are building it without feeling like you're selling snake oil. I just feel like so often there's there's a lot of snake oil out there. Oh, yeah, we've got mm -hmm. a call. And that had been my visceral reaction. Once we started doing that, it became a great resource for us because we got more input into the company, right? Even if people yeah. weren't prospects, they said, oh, I love it. Let me tell you my story about this. And so it became a great feedback vehicle. On the personal right. side... You know, I think I, I definitely made the mistake of falling into the founder trap that one, you, you got to go do this on your own, right? Don't, don't you've got to be at this 24 seven, which you mm -hmm. are, you don't have a choice. Your brain's on it 24 seven. No kidding. Right. Exactly. You just can't turn it off. I can't tell you how often people go, well, you must work long hours. What? 60, 80 hours a week. And I was like, no, I woke up in the middle of the night going, oh my God, that's the way we need to solve it. Right. Exactly. But, but there's that there's sort of the extending into your team, both your personal network, as well as the advisory board or just work associated network that you have and leveraging them from help. 
You don't have to do this on your own. That's true, whether you're a solo founder or a co-founder. I happen to be a solo founder because they're all on your team. Even if they don't understand the specific problem, they're going to do their best to help you or they're just going to listen. And sometimes that's just as valuable because you can't internalize it yourself. You know, somebody told me this was going to be the loneliest place being a solo CEO founder. And they're right, but it doesn't mean that you have to put, make yourself alone. I'd say those were the two big things because you solve problems better as a group. We're humans. That's what we're built for. They just don't have to be somebody in, that's an expert in your space. So I agree. Well, this is awesome. I've learned a lot, Brittany. So thank you very much for sharing all that. I really appreciate you coming on the show. So how shall our audience learn more about you? Yeah, you know, don't be shy to reach out to me on LinkedIn. The only request I have is that you just give me a note about why you want to connect. And secret is that if you still go to our website and you go to the Let's Talk and you ask for a Sec DevOps chat, that will actually take you to my calendar and you can book a time with me. So don't be afraid if you want to have a conversation about this or if you're a fellow entrepreneur and you're thinking about starting or you just want to trade stories. I joke that we should have like a founders club, like flight club, don't talk about, but we need to get together uh, with each other to support each other. Um, So please don't be shy about reaching out. Um, You know, love connecting with folks. It's been the silver lining, I think, of the the last year is that it's easier to connect with people because you're not on the road. You know, we've all gotten used to a virtual coffee. So please reach out. (laughs) Well, that's great. We'll put all that in the notes. And yes, that idea of a founders club is great. In fact, we have one. So uh, that's what we do every single Tuesday. We get together as founders and chat about our challenges. So thanks for the plug, Brittany. Appreciate it. Happy to um, help. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. No, this was great. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk soon. Absolutely. And for everybody out there, thank you for watching. Please subscribe. We have awesome creators and innovators like Brittany coming on every single week. So subscribe to the show. Make sure that you don't miss out on anything. Thank you for coming. We will see you next. Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.